All right. Well, we're going to continue, so if you can make your way to your seats. And once again, just to say, like, for our parenting course, for Exploring Christianity, those are great things to invite your friends to as well. So the parenting course is open not just to people in our church, but if you want to invite your friends who might think that would be uh, beneficial for them, then that's certainly an option for you to be able to have. So once again, we want to welcome you here this morning. My name is Joe Crummy. I'm going to be speaking this morning, and we're going to continue from the book of Matthew. And uh, last week, Brent was speaking and did an excellent job uh, just looking at the Word of God and how we are to respond to it. And today, we're going to continue to look at some of, actually, Jesus in action. So he did this great teaching, uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, that we read in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And now we go into 8 and into chapter 9. And uh, Jesus begins to move out, just not from teaching, but actually putting things into action. So that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. So I'm going to read that uh, to you, and you can follow along up here in your Bibles. We're going to pick it up, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, and we can read this together. It says, And when he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. That's Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gadarene, Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. So again, you can see with being with Jesus was not boring, okay? The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. How interesting. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Okay, lots in there today, and we're going to try to look at some of those things. And just by way of intro, as I said, uh, the last few weeks we've really been focusing on the authority of Jesus' teaching. And so as we went through that uh, whole message, and we just took out, um, tried to cover all of it, we're just taking a look at how the authority, Jesus taught like no one had ever taught before. And they recognize the authority of Jesus' teaching. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, many scholars said, like, no one's ever 
improved upon that teaching. It stands out even uh, historically in that. And last week, Brent did an excellent job, and I will urge you, if you weren't here last Sunday, seriously, please listen to that message online, okay? Just go to our website, and there's a great a reading plan to go with it, and just the importance of not only just hearing the Word of God, but then obeying the Word of God and standing on the Word of God. And can you remember, has anyone put into practice this week? Yes, Daddy, I will obey right away, all the way, the happy way. Well done, people. That's right. And I trust you read Psalm 3, 4, and 5 this morning. So, Brent did a great job with that, and today we want to get into now the authority of Jesus, not just his words, but also his deeds, his actions, that they carried authority. And it's interesting, just even in our worship time, that word came out about authority. And so we have authority in Jesus' teachings, but we're going to see we have authority in the actions and the deeds of Jesus as well. And just quickly, we just see three things here, just to sort of set the stage for what we want to dive in to this morning. The first one we just read, we see Jesus has power and authority over nature, over physical conditions. He has power over nature. And of course, you've got to remember the people he's with. He's with the Jews who would remember, as they would be taught right from infancy on, the wonders and the stories of God in the Old Testament, our Old Testament, how God is the one who parted the Red Sea. God is the one who, if you read Joshua this week, I'm going to get that reading plan in every time I can. If you read Joshua 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 this week, how they, God opened the Jordan River. And it was God who had sovereign power over nature. And now we see Jesus has that same power. And so Jesus is, again, that king who has come. It's God's son. And he's revealing that and proving that to the people around him. We see that Jesus has power over the demonic. Same thing. We see Old Testament. If you read Job 1 and 2 this week, hint, hint. Hint, you see that God is the one who allows Satan to do things, not to do things. And now Jesus is saying the same thing. He has power over the demonic. And then the most amazing thing is this, is that Jesus introduces this whole thing of Jesus also has power over sin. And so this morning, we're going to take a look more at that one, okay? We could do lots on the other ones, but we're going to take a lot more at this one. So we're going to begin really with the story of the paralytic coming and Jesus dealing with him. Now, in reading this, and maybe you've read this passage before, to me, and I hope, I don't know if you think this way or not, but I always wonder, isn't it interesting that Jesus, with this guy, you know, paralytic comes, and the first thing he does is he doesn't actually talk about him being paralyzed. He actually talks about sin. And if you go back in chapter Eight, I'll just do a quick review, okay? Earlier, after the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus does. He goes right out, and he meets a man with leprosy, and the guy says, Jesus, if you're willing, please heal me. Jesus says, I'm willing, and he's healed. No mention of sin, okay? Then we have the centurion. Do you remember that story? The centurion comes, says, my servant is paralyzed. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And in great suffering, if you could just come, you know, and Jesus says, I'm going to come. And he says, you don't need to come. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. And that's what Jesus does. He speaks, he gets back home, the servant is healed. No mention of sin. Then he goes on, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then it says, they bring the whole town to Jesus. So demons are cast out, and it says all were healed. But in this instance, Jesus starts not 
with a physical healing, but a different, even more deadly issue. Jesus knows something this man maybe doesn't know. He has a much bigger problem than being paralyzed. He has something that's more than just the physical. There's a bigger issue at hand that the main problem for this guy is not him being paralyzed or not his suffering that caused from it or the inconvenience or the frustration or any of those things. This guy's biggest issue is actually sin. And that's why he starts with not healing him, but son, your sins are forgiven. So that has to we have to ask the question, what is sin? Because I can imagine this guy's just like, um, sorry, Jesus, like, great that my sins are here, but you've missed kind of the point, okay? I'm paralyzed. The dudes had to bring me on a bed because I couldn't get to you, so we'll deal with that one later. But right now, can you just, I'm sure this guy's probably heard of everything Jesus has done, and Jesus wants to start with sin. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the big issue with sin? and not get to, in a sense, the real problem. And here's the thing. So sin, yes, it's, we think about the Ten Commandments, and we think about lying, or maybe stealing, or all those different things, lust, or swearing, all those things. Those are all sins, eh? We break God's law, we don't do what we're supposed to do, and we do things we're not supposed to do. But the real issue is this, and this is the root issue of all these things. And a lot of times, and I certainly meet with people all the time who, okay, think sin really isn't their issue. It might be for murderers, it might be for people in prison, it might be for everyone else. But I'm a pretty good person, I don't do many bad things, in comparison to everyone else, I'm doing pretty good. But Jesus is really saying this, at the heart of the issue, and Gary had that word right from the beginning of worship this morning, at the heart of the issue there's a heart issue. So at the heart of the issue, there's a heart issue. And it's pretty much this. When we disobey God, when we ignore God, okay? So this is a key thing. It's not just many people, I don't really disobey God, but people ignore God. And when we ignore God, this is what, exactly what we're saying. I will decide exactly how I will live my life. And Jesus is saying, that is the biggest problem we face for the paralytic, for humanity as a whole, and for you and I. Every single one of us, this is the heart of the matter. Sin is yes, okay, the signs and symptoms are we don't do all the things we should and we do things we shouldn't do, but the root issue is this. I will decide how I'm going to live my life life. And folks, that is rebellion against God. We might not think of it in those terms. You ask most people, are you rebellious towards God? Most people would say, no, I'm not. Okay, I might say my prayers before I eat. I'm pretty thankful. Okay, I celebrate Christmas and Easter. I'm pretty good. But the rest of the time, if you ignore God and you live as I'm in control and I'm going to live my life how I want to live, Folks, whether you realize it or not, that's rebellion towards God, your creator who has made you, has purposes and plans for your life. And what Jesus is getting to, and he says it all the way through his teachings, 
all the way through his life is we don't realize the magnitude of the consequences of sin. And in the story where Jesus kind of mixes healing and forgiveness and sin, Jesus is trying to get people's attention to say, sin requires a miraculous cure. That's what Jesus is beginning to get to. And we can say, for us to be healed physically, that would be a miracle. And Jesus is saying, for you to be forgiven, that also requires a miracle. Because the bottom line is, if you think about it, and you kind of put yourself in the place of the paralytic, okay? If you can just kind of like stop, use your imagination, okay, put yourself in this guy's shoes. There's no health care system 2,000 years ago. There's no Medicare, okay? There's no rehab centers, all those things. This guy, I'm sure, if we can read into it, is thinking, I've heard of Jesus. I've heard what he's done. I've heard that he healed this other paralyzed guy, that if I could just get to Jesus, if I could only get to Jesus, if I could only be healed, if only I could walk again, if only I could be fully functional, then... I would be happy, content, satisfied, fulfilled, fill in the blank. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're not much different from the paralytic. We might not be paralyzed physically, but we all come with our wish list of thinking, if I only had this, then I would be happy. So the Lotto Corporation has it figured out. They know how to get us. Okay, have you ever seen the Set for Life commercials? Okay, they know how to get us. It works, doesn't it? Okay, you're going like, oh man, yeah, if I had just won the millions, man, then I'd be happy. And they set out, Set for Life, what a great little phrase, right? The Lotto Corporation. If you buy this ticket, and if you win the lottery, then you will be happy. And we kind of go, yeah, I think I would, <laughs> as we kind of drool thinking about all the things we'd do if we won millions of dollars. But it's not just lotto companies. It's for every single one of us. Okay? And we see it at Christmas, don't we? We just experienced it last month. Okay? And we can laugh at our kids, but we're exactly the same way. Okay? What do our kids do? If only I can get this computer this iPod, whatever, then I will be happy. And if you ever heard this as parents, okay, mom and dad, if I just get this, I'll never ask for anything else again. We do it all the time, don't we? Honestly, seriously, if I just get this, I'll be happy. You don't have to get me anything else. If you just get me this, I will be happy. I'll shut up. I'll never complain again. I'll never ask for anything next Christmas. Just this Christmas, just get me this. And by Christmas Day in the afternoon, Things have already changed. And we can laugh at kids, but for us, of us, those of us who are kind of grown up, we kind of think the same thing, don't we? Think, okay, if I could just get this job, then I'll be happy. If I could just get married, then I'll be happy. If I could just have kids, then I'll be happy. If I could just get my kids off to university, then I'll be happy. And you can go through your list. If I just had a bit more money, if I just was better looking, if I just got in better shape, da, 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 if, if, if. 
only I could, then I would be happy. Satisfied, content, at peace. If I was rich, if I was all these things. Hugh down here is just going, God, if I just get two more wins <laughs> for my football team, then I'll be happy. I won't ask about next year. I'll just focus on right now. Brent's going, if I can just get two more wins for my Baltimore team, then I'd be happy. We're going to find out who's the more the prayer warrior by coming tonight. But we do that in every scenario. If this, then that. And just as Jesus confronted the paralytic, and he doesn't start with, hey, if you're healed, then you'll be happy. Because I'm sure he would have been for what? A day? Two weeks? Two months? Two years? And folks, this is the heart of the issue. Is that really asking for this paralytic to ask to be healed? That's not a bad thing not a bad request. It wasn't like that's evil. When we ask God, God, can I have this job? God, can I'd love to be married. Lord, I'd love to have kids. All those things. Those are not bad things to ask God for. But here's the problem. It's this. It's when thinking, if I get my wish, if I get my desire, if I get this good thing, then I will be happy. That is making that wish an idol. And that is what is wrong. Okay? So asking for God provide. We just went through the whole Sermon on the Mount. How many times did Jesus say, your Father in Heaven knows what you need? So asking for things is not evil. It's not wrong. But we get offline when we do this. When we think what we ask for is going to make us happy and that we'll be satisfied in that and we miss out that actually Jesus is the one who will satisfy us. That is the issue. And so our wish in focusing on that becomes an idol. That is the root problem. So when we talk about sin, we can think, hey, it's the things I do and I don't do. But we've got to get deeper to the deeper problem. It's actually... What's in here? And what do we think will make us happy, fulfilled, at peace? All those things that we used to describe. Okay? That is the fundamental issue. And Jesus begins to address heart issues. He deals with the physical all the way along. But the more we get from the beginning of Matthew, where he's coming, he's establishing, he's king, by his teaching, by his action, it's also doing this. It's pointing to what's coming. And that's the reality of understanding what our greatest need is. Because we quickly realize this. Sometimes we don't get what we want. We can pray for things. We can be earnest in prayer even, okay? And we don't get them. And sometimes we have to realize that God might, might be allowing things not to happen in order even in your anger and in your frustration and in your disappointment and in your pain to go deeper into realizing 
those things really aren't going to make me happy. And it focuses, it allows us, it's an opportunity for us to focus on actually pressing into God and saying, God, if you really are everything, then I need to find everything in you. And a second thing can happen. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for. And sometimes the favor of God is upon us, even in his general will, and we get things that we ask for. We get things that we even wish for. And the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, many times, even when we get the things that we're like, God, if I just get this, I won't ask for another thing. We get them, and what happens? We're disappointed in what we get. Maybe not right away. We can have temporary happiness. But days go by, weeks go by, months go by, and we begin to realize, I thought, I thought getting this job would make me happy. I thought getting this raise, I thought this vacation, I thought getting married, I thought having kids would fill this void. I thought this, I thought that, I thought retirement, I thought, I thought, I thought. And Jesus is driving home. Okay? There's bigger issues at play than just the immediate things around us. And Jesus begins pointing that there's a greater need, the issue of sin, the issue of sin of who's on the throne, of who actually decides our life and our choices and the plans for our lives, but also this, who actually is going to satisfy? Who's actually going to make us happy, if we can use that word? And we begin to realize over and over again that if we're honest with ourselves, that sometimes when our dreams come true, we're still not satisfied. And sometimes we think, if I could just get a little bit of help from God, then I can get going again, then I can get back on track with my life. And what are we asking for, really? We're saying, God, just help me get through this so that I can get back on track, so I can get back to my plan, so I can get back to my list, so I can get back to my control, so I can get on with my life. And it seems cruel, doesn't it, that Jesus starts with, son, your sins are forgiven, and he doesn't address the healing yet. And folks, we can seem it cruel, like, God, why didn't you answer this? God, why didn't you do this? And maybe, just maybe, God is allowing things to happen so that we, even though we're naive and we're ignorant, and as Andrew read out, to be honest, we're stupid a lot of the time when it comes to the things of God, that maybe God is allowing that because maybe God really does know best, and maybe God's getting our attention, and maybe he's not as much as he is concerned about our daily life and our physical and our needs and our wants and all those things, but maybe he's got an eternal perspective and maybe he's got a better plan and maybe he's going to allow these things to happen to give an opportunity for us to drive ourselves into acknowledging we need a savior and that we can't save ourselves. And actually, isn't that kind of God to do that? As Jesus later on is going to talk about, you can have the whole world, but what is it if you lose your soul? And with all these things, we begin to realize that only God can forgive. In the Old Testament, only God 
could forgive. It's all the way through there, especially through the book of Isaiah. Let me just read out one passage, okay? A famous one from Psalm 51. David, who in one week committed adultery and murder, he wrote this in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. When we begin to realize, as Jesus did here, that when we do things, and we can think, I've never done anything against God. I don't know what God has a problem with me. I've never done anything. Okay? Let me just give you this example, okay? I, this could happen this week, all right? Gary, Kevin, and I meet Tuesday night for our elders meeting, and this is probably what's going to happen. Kevin's going to make some comment to Gary about Montreal losing last night, okay? Gary's going to get upset, and this could happen. <laughs> this, this is what could happen, folks. Okay? Gary can get so upset that Montreal lost last night, he punches Kevin in the nose. Blood everywhere, the whole thing, okay? I come along, because I'm there, and I say to Gary, Gary, you are forgiven. It's done with, let's move on. And Kevin, as he's dealing with his broken nose, is going like, hey, wait a minute. How can you forgive, Gary? It was against me that he sinned. And the funny little story, do you see the point? You can't forgive something when the sin's not against you. Only the person who's been offended can give the forgiveness. And Jesus, by saying, son, your sins are forgiven. I'm sure this guy's going like, Jesus, I've never met you before. What have I done against you? But Jesus saying, son, your sins are forgiven. It got the religious people really upset. This is like one of the first times. You can heal people, okay? It might cause a stir, but hey, no one's really going to come against you, all right? It might be a cool, white thing, but if you say your sins are forgiven, the religious people were rightly upset. They're like, only God can forgive. And Jesus is saying, hey, this guy's sins weren't just against whoever. They were against me. That changes everything in history when Jesus makes that claim. Okay? That's one of the critical turning points in the Gospels is when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Because really, only who can forgive sins? Only our creator who made us. And Jesus is now saying, I am God. And what happens is, when Jesus does this, he sets himself on a path that he can't go back from. Because up to this time, again, isn't it cool? Great teaching, a little bit hard, a little bit hard to understand, not quite sure if I can follow it, but man... That was some teaching, so pretty cool. And then Jesus doing miracles and all these things. How incredible is this? But then Jesus, by making the statement, he's foreshadowing, he's pointing towards what is coming. And when he says this, there's no turning back. Because Jesus is saying, 
if I'm equal to God, and I am God, and I can forgive sins, then it points that the cross is coming. Because in order to forgive sin, there has to be things like sacrifice and all these things, bloodshed, in order for people to be forgiven and to be cleansed and to be made right with God. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be the one who is going to be able to forgive you, not just because I have authority to do so, which he's proven here, because how did he back it up? He said, which is easier, to forgive or to heal? Now, that's, a, that's like a trick question, isn't it? Because you can think, well, I mean, it's really hard to heal people. I mean, you just can't kind of pull that one out, can you? So maybe it's easier to forgive. And then you kind of think, well, you know what? There's like, seems to be like a lot of people out there, like miracle workers and all that, who could probably heal someone. But can they actually forgive? And it's kind of like this conundrum. Like, whoa, which is easier? And Jesus is saying, just to show that I can forgive sins, I have authority, then get up, take up your bed, and go. So Jesus is saying, he has the authority as the Son of God, he is different from, he's unique, he's different from everyone else who's ever lived on planet Earth. But he's also pointing to the cross and saying, there's going to come a point when I'm going to lay down my life because this is what he's pointing to. This is the good news. And this is what we'll kind of close on. You might be here this morning, you might understand, you might have more of a revelation. Man, when I do something against somebody else, I'm actually sinning against God. When I'm sort of just looking out for myself and I'm not really concerned about what God wants in my life, that's actually sin. That's actually rebellion towards God. And we begin to realize, I need to be forgiven. And how does that happen? And you might be here this morning going, I don't know how I'm going to do this because Jesus isn't physically here. If Jesus physically came, then maybe we could go to him and he might say, son, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus isn't physically here right now. He's in heaven. So how do I get forgiven? How do I get right with God? And this is the good news. And as we share communion this morning, this is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the great news of the grace of God. Is that Jesus just didn't for one guy say your sins are forgiven. Jesus actually, as we're going to see, went to the cross. And as we move towards Easter, we'll explain more of these things in a fuller way. But Jesus knew there had to be a payment for the wrongdoing. And in the Old Testament, there was a whole system. You had to kill okay, different animals, bloodshed as a sacrifice before God to get right with God. And Jesus as we read in the book of Hebrews, was coming to be the once and for all sacrifice. Jesus himself wasn't just going to be able to say, son, your sins are forgiven. He was going to be the way, as we just sang about this morning, for all of us to have our sins forgiven. He was going to go to the cross, lay down his perfect life, because he never sinned, he never rebelled against God. He was obedient to God. But he went to the cross, and he took upon himself, he became sin for us. He became the rebellion 
against God and the wrath of God, the justice of God, the penalty was paid in Jesus Christ as he died on the cross. And the good news is, as God raised him from the dead three days later, and as he conquered sin and death, the Bible says, if we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, then there are great consequences to that decision. Great consequences. One is, because Jesus paid the penalty, you and I can be forgiven. That we can be made right with God. That we can become a child of God. That we can experience what David prayed in Psalm 51, we can experience. We can be legally forgiven before God. Hallelujah. But it gets even better. You're not just legally forgiven. You are cleansed. You can actually have a clear conscience. You can be healed from all the things that you've done and all the wrongs done to you. That you can have a new start. And not only does he wipe the slate clean, you don't just get from a negative, I owe God $10 billion, and he gets us to zero because Jesus paid off the debt. He puts like $10 billion in your bank account. Because he makes you right with God, and he gives you Jesus' righteousness. That you're not good enough to earn it. You're good, not good enough to work towards it. It is a gift from God. Hallelujah. And so that's the great news is that Jesus actually grants us our deepest wish, even though most of the time we don't know that's our deepest wish. Not only does Jesus pay the penalty, he gives us himself. And that Jesus becomes our savior. And Jesus is our redeemer. And Jesus is, the Bible says, like our elder brother. And Jesus is like a friend. And Jesus is a brother, okay, a friend that's closer than a brother that Jesus gives us his spirit to live within us, that we're no longer orphans, we're no longer on our own. And when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and we turn from our rebellion, and we believe and accept what Jesus has done, okay, we're saved. And Jesus is our hero, because we need a miracle to be forgiven, and we can't do it on our own. And Jesus is the provision. That's why we can sing this morning, Jesus is Savior of the world. And you can make that personal here this morning. You can say, Jesus is my Savior. I am forgiven because of Jesus Christ. I am restored into a relationship with God as my Father. I've been given His Holy Spirit. I, whether I know it or not, whether or not I get healed, whether or not I get my wish list, whatever or not, I am now at peace with God. And folks, it's from that starting point that then you can say, Father in heaven, what is your will? Father in heaven, your will be done in my life. And your prayers will probably change because as you pray that, God's going to begin to give you things that he wants to give to you that you can begin to pray. Okay. And our wish list turns into our obedience list. And we get to pray the things that God wants to answer. 
So folks, this morning, as we share in communion, as we remember the death of Jesus Christ, as we remember his sacrifice, as we remember his substitute, as we remember his resurrection from the dead, as we remember that Jesus is coming again, we never want to forget the good news that we can be forgiven, that Jesus has made a way. And let me just read this from the New Testament. Paul said this from 1 Corinthians. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So folks, this morning, just as our life groups get ready to share, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're welcome to join us in communion. You're welcome to remember, okay, and to acknowledge that Jesus is our substitute that Jesus is our way, that we are forgiven from God, that Jesus is, okay, the one who satisfies and fulfills both in this life and in the life to come. And maybe you might not consider yourself a Christian here this morning, okay? You're welcome to stay and to join us, okay? And you can observe what we do as the body of Christ. And maybe afterwards, you might want to come, You might want to talk more. You might want to pray a prayer to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. You might want to take part in communion here this morning to do that, to acknowledge that I've made a decision today, okay? And you can come and talk to us afterwards, all right? I just want to lead us in a prayer, okay? Our life group's going to serve us, and then we'll finish together, okay?